Well, how about you guys? Could you, uh, could you use a dollar? Come on, let's be honest. Could you use a dollar or 2000 today to help you get through this next week? I mean, a lot of us could, could use some money, right? Because we find ourselves stretched thin and running low. Well, today we're going to talk about debt. And what I want to encourage you, if you walk through those doors today feeling like you're under a mountain of debt, you're just discouraged, you don't know how, or, or you don't know how you're going to pay your bills this week without getting some sort of payday loan or something, and you're just feeling stressed, I want to encourage you that there's hope. We're going to pray for you later in the service, but there is hope. I've been down that road of debt. I've been in that place where I just didn't know how was I going to make ends meet, and the debt just kept mounting and mounting and mounting. And sometimes we wind up in debt because of circumstances beyond our control, things that happen to us, things that go wrong, we get laid off or health issues. But so often our own decisions, our own failure to plan and be prepared and manage our money uh, more wisely puts us in those holes as well. And so that's what we want to talk about today. In our world, debt is normal. I mean, it's just the way we do life. It's the way we function. And sometimes... Um, we, we don't have money to get something we want, and we don't want to wait for it. And they just say, oh, easy credit. Put it on your credit card. Take out a store loan. And so I want you to listen carefully. I want you to listen carefully. We're gonna, as we talk about this, money is a sensitive issue for so many of us. And uh, sometimes when we're talking about things that are sensitive, we hear things that the person didn't say. You know what I mean? It's like in marriage. Sometimes my wife or I hear things that the other one didn't really say, and that's how the fight started. You know what I mean? So I don't want you to read in. I want you to hear very clearly. If you're in debt, we don't think you're a bad person. The Bible doesn't say debt is sin. It warns us against it. And uh, it's, it's not an easy, quick fix, but there is so much hope. You can begin to dig out and get out from under that. Now, some kinds of debt, I believe some kinds of debt can be a good investment. If you take out a loan to go to school so that you can better yourself and get a better job and use your gifts and talents and abilities, that could be a wise investment. Or if you borrow money to get a car so that you can get to school or go to work and have a job, or if you borrow some money to buy a home, those are things that appreciate, they have some value, they, you are, you're investing in something. But you just have to be really careful that you don't, you don't overextend yourself. You don't mar borrow more for your education or more for your car or more for your house, and you're going to be able to afford to pay off. And then on top of that, you start taking on the consumer debt, the things that you could do without, things that aren't necessary, things that depreciate as soon as you buy it. And, and before you know it, all that debt just starts weighing us down. You know, I've known people, debt's driven them to drink. I've known people that debt and pressure has led them to have fights with their spouse. I've known people that debt's led them to drink and fight with their spouse. That's really bad, right? And we know the pressure of debt, it's just not healthy relationally emotionally, spiritually, and physically, it damages our bodies. And we get stuck worrying, living paycheck to paycheck, and wondering if we're ever going to even be able to retire one day. And so what I want you to write down at the top of your outline, right off the bat, we're in this series called Finding Financial Peace. Nothing robs financial peace like debt. Nothing will rob your financial peace like debt. You know, debt should come with a warning. When you take out a loan or you get a credit card, it should come with a warning label. You know, like when you, go buy, when you go buy alcohol or you go buy cigarettes, there's a warning label on there about some of the negative consequences that could happen. But we, we need that on debt. But so often, all debt, you know, when you get your loan, the lender's just promising you all the good things you're going to be able to do with this money, but they don't warn you about the side effects. I saw a sign this week. I saw this uh, picture, and it was uh, at an animal park, and it said, please be safe. Do not sit, 
stand, climb, or lean on fence. If you fall, animals may eat you, and that might make them sick. You know, they're worried, more worried about the animals, right? But there's a clear warning. And you know, the truth is, if you get more and more dead and you can't manage it, sooner or later, you're going to fall, you're going to topple, you're going to get hurt, and it's going to make you sick. And the Bible warns us that debt can make our very soul sick. Look at, look at some of the things that the Bible tells us. First, it tells us that debt enslaves us. Debt enslaves us. The borrower is slave to the lender. And basically, you, you spend your time working today to pay for something you've spent in the past. Sometimes you don't even still have those things. Those things don't even still work, or you're not using them, or they're out of style, but you're still paying for them. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin, and he said he came to give us life and give us an abundant life. And I don't think Jesus intends for us to carry around this weight of debt. He's given us instructions and warnings in his word. Second thing, debt stresses us out. Debt stresses us. I'll be willing to bet most of you in this room have had a few sleepless nights or stressful nights when you were worried about how you were going to pay some bills or make ends meet. But Jesus told his followers, he says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Jesus said, people don't know God. They don't have a relationship with their heavenly father. They worry about this stuff, but, but you're a child of God. Trust him, obey him. Follow him, do life his way, and trust him to provide for you. You don't have to worry. But see, when we begin taking on debt, looking to debt to meet our needs, we wind up stressed out. And then debt restricts us. Debt restricts us. It like ties our hands. You know, over and over in the Bible, we're told to do good with our money. Paul wrote to Timothy, tell them to use their money to do good, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. But the truth is, it's hard to be generous when I'm the one who always needs a dollar. It's hard to be generous when you're the one who always needs a dollar and you feel like, oh man, I want to help this person or I want to give to this mission, uh, missionary or mission activity. I want to help with this at the church, but oh, I'm just so broke, I can't do it. And you're restricted. And so you get this weight of debt. Debt's kind of like flying along in a, a two-engine plane. Anybody ever been in those little small planes that hold like four or six or eight people? They just got two little prop engines. You ever been in a plane like that? I got in a plane one time. It was a kit plane that these people put together. Just had two propellers. And there were three warnings. Talking about warnings, there were three warnings as I got in the door on the dash over my head. This plane is not FAA approved. But I got in and flew with my friend anyway. It was pretty fun. But you're in this little cockpit. And debt's kind of like, man, when you, you pour on too much debt, it's kind of like getting in one of those planes and one of the motors goes out. Now you're just down to one engine, one prop. Now that's a little scary. Reminds me of this guy named Sam. He was <clears throat> flying a short 10-minute commuter flight between a couple towns, and he would jump in the plane every day and take this little two-prop plane with a few other people over to his job, get off and get over to work. And one day, they, as soon as they took off, they were like two minutes out, and the pilot came, he turned around and said, hey, guys, we're going to have to turn around and go back. We've lost an engine. And they looked out the window. Sure enough, one of the, one of the motors had stopped turning. Well, the guy beside Sam was so nervous, he wasn't used to taking these planes. And he said, he turned to Sam, he said, if we lose an engine, how far do you think the other one will take us? Well, Sam said, one engine? Oh, I'm sure it'll take us all the way to the scene of the crash. And not only that, we'll beat the paramedics there by at least a half an hour. We're going to make great time. So don't worry. But can you imagine when you get a lot of debt and you're trying to keep, keep going, you're trying to hold things together, but after a while, it's like one of your propellers goes out. 
And now you're trying to stay afloat and you're just trying to stay aloft. But after a while, you start to descend and, and it just gets faster and faster and faster until you crash and burn. And so you've you got to be careful. And so how are we going to overcome debt in our life? How are we going to restore financial peace? How are we going to find that peace? You know, in the Alcoholics Anonymous manual, it says insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You've got to change some things up if you're uh, struggling with debt. First thing I want to say you need to do is establish a plan as soon as possible. Establish a plan as soon as possible. Got to take quick action. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You need to take some time to plan. Now, a lot of times we don't like to plan. It takes some work, takes some focus, takes some discipline. I'd rather just fly by the seat of my pants and whip out the credit card, but that's how you get in trouble. And once you find yourself in debt, there are no hasty, quick fixes. You can't look to the latest get-rich-quick scheme. You know what? There are whole companies out there, whole industry out there, they just look for people who have one of their propellers out. <laughs> they just look for people who are struggling because they know they're desperate and they want to make you a loan at very unfavorable terms to you. And they're just going to take advantage of you. There's no quick fix. Now I'm going to give you a very short, simple crash course plan. I'm not going to spend uh, a ton of time on it because this summer... We have a, what we call cross-training. We have a five-week training class that you can sign up for called fi Finding Financial Peace by Dave Ramsey, and you can come and get a lot of good teaching and instruction, but it's not just somebody pouring information into you. You can also going to have a chance to sit around your table. We'll put you around tables with some other people, and you can discuss it together. You can take it home, and you can work through it and bring it back, and you can begin to work out your plan. Now, if you're here and you say, well, I'm not going to cross-train. I don't have any debt. I'm in good shape. First, I want you to take a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. I don't have any debt. But then I encourage you, maybe you come this summer and you be one of our table leaders. You be a discussion leader. If you're in a good place with your money and you'd like to help some other people discuss and walk through that, then let me know. We'll put you to work there. Or, or maybe you could come help all those people who are coming. You can come help take care of their kids this summer for five weeks. Be a part of a team uh, loving on and playing with the kids and teaching them about missions. They'll bless you. So, you know, get involved with that this summer. Cross-training. Sign up on your communication card. But let me give you just a real simple budget. A, a real simple way to break down a big picture. So what are you going to give? What are you going to save? And what are you going to live on? So we call it the 10-10-80 plan. So you give 10% to God. You give 10%. You try to save 10%. And you live on 80%. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're going, Dwayne, are you crazy? We're talking about debt. I got all this debt. You want me to give God a tithe? You want me to give God 10%? Want me to give back to I just, I, I'm barely making it. Well, yes, I do. <laughs> I want you to do that because that's what the Bible says. It's what God's guideline. It says that we should give, and we should give generously, and we should give to God first. I love how Nelson Searcy puts it. He says a tithe is not any tenth. A tithe is the first tenth of what you make. By giving God the first tenth, you get your priorities in order. Let me put it another way. When we wind up in debt, it's often because we were, it's usually because we were doing things our way, using our plan, and we wound up in a mess. Now we need to get out. We need help. And do you want God to bless you financially? Oh, I'm talking to the wrong crowd. Nobody. <laughs> 
Do you want God to bless you financially? I'm not talking about making you rich. He doesn't promise to make you rich in the world's terms. But if you want God's help with your finances, you need to trust God and do it His way. And the Bible tells us over and over again to give to God first. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, Dwayne, I'm not, I can't do it. I'm not giving the 10%. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. I still love you, but I'm going to encourage you. Go home and pray. Pray. God, I really need your help. I'm trying to take a step of faith. I don't know. I can't give 10%, but I could give 5%. I could give 3%. I could give $100 a month, whatever it is. But you go home and you talk to God what you feel like God wants you to do. And you start, you make a commitment, but let me encourage you. Give it to God first, not last. Don't wait till the end of the month and see what you have left. You know, and you get in the last Sunday of the month, you open up your wallet and go, oh, man, I shouldn't have gone to the movies last night, shouldn't have taken my family out to dinner because, oh, I only have $25 left to give to God. That's not really honoring God when you're giving out of your leftovers. So give to him first. Give to him first. And you get your plan and you stick to it. Now, most of my life I've lived by the I tithe and give more than a tithe. I haven't always saved 10%. That's been a hard part for me. That's something I'm still working on and growing in. But that's my goal, to get to that point. But I want to tell you, I put God first in my finances, and he has blessed me far beyond what I could have ever expected or imagined. Second thing, reduce your debt immediately and steadily. You've got to stop piling on more debt. You've got you've to stop it. Psalm says this, the wicked borrow and do not repay. See, when you take a loan and you sign, you're giving your word that you're going to pay something back. And I think the only time you shouldn't pay someone back is if either you didn't get what you were promised or circumstances in life beyond your control. You wind up sick, out of work, you just can't work and function. But you can't go in and take on all this debt with the plan that, well, I'll just, uh, my, my exit strategy is I'm just going to declare bankruptcy down the road. That's just for an emergency. Because God expects you to keep your word and pay people back. That's the honorable thing to do. And it says, the righteous give generously. So you've got to take immediate action. You've got to stop the bleeding. And you know what? It's not that complicated. It's really basic money management is not that complicated. I wish we taught our kids this in high school so they learn how to manage their money as they're getting ready to go out in the world. But we don't. We don't really give them clear preparation. But it's, it's, it's not that complicated. In fact, it's so simple how you're going to stop the bleeding. Even Saturday Night Live got it right. Watch this clip with me. Ugh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I'll tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? 
No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Pretty silly, right? But you know what? That's the way we live. We have this entitlement mentality in our culture. We have a whole marketing uh, program set up for companies to get you to buy stuff that you don't know, even know how you're going to pay for that you can't afford. But we're, we're trained not to wait. We get the loan and we buy it now. And it's just so simple. You have to stop the bleeding. And then I encourage you to use a fantastic tool called the debt snowball. The debt snowball. And uh, you'll learn more about that in cross-training. You can go online and look up Dave Ramsey, Debt Snowball. But it's a really great way to, to sit down and you, you lay out all your debt. What do you owe? Who do you owe? And you put the amounts and you go from the smallest to the largest. The sad thing is most people don't even know how much they really owe once they get in over their heads. But you lay it out and then you make the minimum payment on everything except the debt, the smallest debt. And you do everything you can to scrape up extra money to pay on that smallest debt. You pay that one off as fast as you can. You do things like brown bagging it for lunch instead of eating out every day. You, you, you bring a pizza home instead of taking the family out to eat. You rent a movie instead of going to the movie theater. You make sacrifices and you pay that smallest debt off as fast as you can. So right away you have a victory. As soon as you do that, you put all your efforts there. You take that money you've been paying on the smallest debt, and now you take the family to Disneyland, right? No, you take that money and you start paying it on the next smallest debt. You start paying, you roll it over and you start paying off the next one. And so you begin to whittle down your debts. And there's people here who have done this at Crossroads and have been amazed at how successfully they've been able to get the debt load off of them by practicing this principle. You know, it's a great tool. You know, credit cards are great tools, too, if you can handle it, if you can use them properly. You know, studies say that the average person, they shop with a credit card, they'll spend 30% more than they will if they went shopping with cash or those things we call checks, you know, that people don't use anymore. You'll, you'll spend 30% more because it's pain-free. The pain's coming later. You, you feel good. You buy something. You just swipe the card. Well, I, I, I knew this one family, they took their credit cards. They knew they might need them sometime, but they were kind of compulsive shoppers, so they, they put their credit card in a block of ice. They froze it in a block of ice. And that way, if they wanted to buy something or needed to use it, they'd have to think about it while it thawed out. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and maybe if you can't control your credit card, you're kind of an impulsive shopper, especially with all the online stuff. Maybe you need to do plastic surgery and just cut your cards up. But it, they can be a great tool. Third thing, you've got to attack the number one cause of debt. The number one cause of debt is discontentment discontentment. I mean, by definition, discontentment is the opposite of peace. It's a lack of satisf 
satisfaction. And Satan has two very powerful weapons. The first, the Bible tells us he's a father of lies. He lies to you. He deceives us. He tries to deceive us about ourselves and about God. But also, he loves to create dissatisfaction. In fact, that's how he tripped up Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's how they, Adam and Eve fell into sin. They lived in this perfect world. They lived in this world where everything was relationally good. There was no sin, no issues. They were clean and clear before God. They had an intimate relationship with God. Life, life the earth wasn't broken. It wasn't infected with sin and sickness and death. And uh, Satan, he, he hated God. He was very discontent with the situation. And he came in and, and he, he came up to Eve and he began to stir things up. First, he questioned what God said, and then he said, oh, you have everything you could ever want except that one tree over there that God told you not to eat from. And he said, you know, look at that tree. God knows if you eat from it, look what he said. He knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can you underline that phrase, you'll be like God? See, he started creating that discontent. Oh, I want to be... I want to be like God. I want to be, I want to be just like him. And she started, the Bible says Eve started looking and started saying, wow, that fruit looks so good, and I want to be like God. And so she took and she ate of it. And the world was broken. Sin came into the world. She gave some to Adam. He sinned right along with her. And nothing in the world is as it was created to be. It's broken. And we, we grow up and we sin. We, we're discontent. Nobody has to teach us to be discontented. Nobody has to teach us to disobey our parents. We just... We just start doing that pretty early on in life, and we wind up with our relationship with God is broken because of our sin, and so now there is a true discontentment. Now, discontentment can have a healthy purpose when we realize, hey, I'm, something's missing in life. I was made for more. I was made for a relationship with my creator. I don't like some things in my life. I'm discontented with those. I need to work towards fixing those with God's help. I don't like some things going on in the world. I need to work on those things. I want to help make a difference. It can motivate you to take some positive action, but mostly discontentment just makes us unhappy. It makes us struggle. It makes us look to some other things to, to fill that hole. And so here's some symptoms of discontentment. I focus on what I lack instead of what I have. Instead of living with an attitude of gratitude, I'm living with this discontented feeling of, oh, why don't I have that? Satan will whisper things into your ears like, you know... Dwayne, if you bought that 70-inch 4K TV with the curved screen and the 240 megahertz refresh rate, when you watch the Warriors games, it would be like your courtside. It would be so much better than your puny little 42-inch 1080 HD old TV. Satan says stuff like that to you. I go, well, I can't afford that. Well, just, oh, look, they got payment plans at the, at the, at the place, you know, 0% for 12 months or whatever, and then... Then you have 12 easy payments, and oh, no. You know, I've learned to be content with what I have and make things last and, and, and be set, to, you know, the, and financially, I feel like I've learned a lot of being content with what I have. Now, I do have to tell you, my knee's getting pretty sore because every time I walk by the TV stand, I've been kind of bumping into it, hoping it'll fall off, so then now I can go buy a new one, right? <laughs> Satan whispers stuff like, how can you be happy? With your iPhone 5S when everybody else has 7s and they can't wait for the 8s to come out. Come on, man. Get with it. How can you be happy with that old, scratched-up, low-mileage, dependable car that's paid off? Don't you see the shiny new car in your neighbor's driveway? Man, you deserve that. 
And not only that, Dwayne, you're getting older, man. How much longer are you going to be able to look up, look behind you to back up? You really deserve one of those rearview cameras so you can back up safely. And so you get discontent with things that you have. When you travel, when you go to some tourist places, do you look at those little home magazines you see when you go out of the restaurants at all the tourists? You know what I'm talking about? Those little home, local home guides? Anybody look at those? Is it just me? And you open them up and you go, wow, look at these places. <gasps> it only costs a third of my house in Fremont. Wow, we, we could live here. And you get discontent with what you have, right? Never mind the fact you're going to be living somewhere with 115 degree heat all summer. Never mind. But you're going to be a nice house for a lot less, you know. And you get discontented. And Satan just keeps you stirring up. Stirring up. He wants you to wreck your life. He wants you to crash and burn. We focus on circumstances instead of God. That's the next thing. We focus on our circumstances. And all of our discontentment is not financial. Some of it is with things going on in our life, things that aren't fair, things that are hard, things that are, are frustrating. And, uh, you know, I, I have a little pastoral confession here, true confessions for you guys. When the leaders of pastors get together and we plan out message series, you know, there's always some nice, fun topics, and then there's challenging things like, you know, dealing with, uh, like, conflict in your marriage, just for example. And we know whoever, whichever pastor gets stuck with that message, you know what? We just know that week before their message, they're going to have the biggest fight they had with their wife in, in months. They're just, just God's going to teach you some stuff through that and keep you humble because he never wants us to get up here with this pride, like, I got it all together, you guys should be like me. And so we're, we're mapping out this series and, and uh, you know, Pastor Paul, he wants to preach about puppies and rainbows and, you know, he takes the easy ones. So I, I saw this message on debt and I go, oh, that's not bad. I can talk about debt. I don't have a lot of issues with debt. Um, in fact, I've done some messages on debt. I can take them out and read them, pray through them, rework them. But as I was praying and preparing this message, God really impressed with me. You need to talk about discontentment. And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> that means I'm going to have something to be discontented about this week. I'm going to have some trials. I'm going to have some struggles. And I had a very tough week. I'm dealing with some challenging things, personal life, work, and then things just got worse. And on top of that, I had to go get some people's medications filled at Kaiser. And I'm not a big Kaiser basher, but I went in in the morning and was there 45 minutes to get three prescriptions, and I left with one. I went back a second time a couple hours later. And I left with the second one. I went back the third time. I mean, come on. You, you guys, how many of you go to Kaiser and Fremont? You know, when you get a parking spot there, you feel like you won the lottery. You know what I mean? I'm like, yes, I am somebody. I got a parking spot at Kaiser. And I got, went the third time, and they had still messed up the prescription. And, so, and they'd even texted me that it was ready. I spent like an hour and a half going back and forth to Kaiser, finding a parking spot, trying not to kill anybody there. And I get, I'm like, I still don't have that medication. Is it showing? <laughs> I still don't have that medication I needed. Man, I was like, on top of everything else, I just felt so discontented and so frustrated. And I started having some words with God and just venting. And I was just, just, man, I was like, Jesus, come back. Let's just go to heaven. Get it over with. He has dealing with that, what we call the pastoral PMS, pre-message stuff, pre-message stuff. You just know, you just know something's going to happen. So I just say that all honesty, I want you to know I'm still working, God's still growing me. And then, thank you, and then I'm glad, 
You look to the world for satisfaction. That's the third thing. You look to the world for satisfaction. You, you're not satisfied with what you have. You're, you're not looking to God. You're looking at circumstances. So you start looking at things in the world to make you happy. If I could be more successful, if I could get a new car, if I could live in a better neighborhood. People just, they're not content with their situation. It's just crazy. You know, people are like, man, I'm so discontent. If I, was, if I could only be married. Somebody else says, oh, I'm so discontent. If I could only be single. Oh, I'm so discontent. If we could only have kids. Oh, man, I can't, I'm so discontent. I can't wait till these kids move out and go to college. And you just, you know, you're just never, you're just struggling. It's a lot more than a heart issue, uh, a debt issue. But, man, discontent will cause you to take on some debt. But look what Paul says. He says, but godliness and with contentment is great gain. Contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Can you underline that? Contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment was, is the state of satisfaction, the ease of mind. It's peace. And Paul gives them perspective. He gives young Timothy some perspective. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You're not going to leave this world with more than you came into it with, except maybe a few gray hairs and a few extra pounds, okay? You're not leaving this world with more than you came into it. And he says, remember, you weren't made for this world. We're, we live here for a time, a season. We get to experience God and His love and choose whether we want a relationship with God or not. But God created you for eternity in a relationship with Him in heaven. And when you start thinking other things here on earth are going to satisfy you or make you happy, satisfy your soul, it's like a mirage. It's like a mirage. And then Paul said this, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. We will be content. If we just have enough to eat and wear. Now I'm hoping most of you had a good have enough food to eat right now. I'm looking out. Everybody's got clothes on. Thank you. So and you, have so, you have some things to be thankful for, right? Some things to be content. So, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Do you ever think all those credit card applications in your mailbox are like they're dangling a bunch of snares in your life, just hoping you'll reach out and get stuck in one and get in over your head? You say, well, Dwayne, what are you talking about? I don't want to be rich. Well, when you Maybe you don't want to be rich. You're not thinking like, I just want more money. But when you want all this stuff that money can buy, it's a kind of greed that we're not, it's not wrong to want something or fix something or make something nice. But when you're not satisfied with what you have and you go into debt to get something you think will make you happy, you've got a problem and you fall into temptation. I've been there. I've experienced that. There's a great story in the Old Testament. I hope you'll read it this week. I don't really have time to flesh it out very much. But there's this guy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Now, it's a very unfortunate name. I don't know if you've read this part of the Bible, but every time the, the Jerusalem Highway Patrol would pull over Mephibosheth, they couldn't read his driver's license. And they would say, sir, could you pronounce your name for us, please? And he'd say, Mephibosheth. And they'd say, oh, we know this guy's drinking. You've got to walk the, get out and walk the line. He was always getting, having to do the DUI test. Anyway, Mephibosheth. Amazing story. And he had a lot to be discontent about. He had an unfortunate accident when he was young. He couldn't walk. Uh, he was uh, the grandson of Saul, so he was in line to be the king one day. But David became the king. Instead of wiping him and all of Saul's descendants out, David showed them grace and love and mercy. And so David brought Mephibosheth into his home, into around his table. He was allowed to keep all the riches of his uh, grandfather, King Saul. But some, so a bunch of stuff happened, and... Uh, 
Mephibosheth's servant lied about him, and David got mad, and he took away all Mephibosheth's stuff. And then later, when David got the truth, he told Mephibosheth, you know what? I'm going to give you half of your stuff back. The other guy who lied about him got to keep the other half. I mean, I'd be a little discontent about that. But look what Mephibosheth said, because David had been exiled and had run away. Mephibosheth said, let, let him, let my servant take everything now that my lord the king has returned home safely. He said, forget all the stuff. I have my relationship with you, my dear friend. You're back. You're safe. You're here. Uh, I've experienced nothing but grace and mercy and kindness from you. And I was thinking about this story about Mephibosheth, and it reminded us what we experience from God. See, rather than being bitter and upset about what we don't have in life, what has God done for us? What do we have when we have a relationship with Christ? I mean, let's be honest. What, What do I deserve? What do you deserve? The Bible says for our sin... We deserve death, separation from God for eternity. I deserve death and hell. But when I invite Christ into my life and he paid a debt I could never pay, he paid the debt for my sin, I get a relationship with God. I'm forgiven and free from my guilt. I have a church family to go through life with, wonderful people God puts around us. I have purpose. I have a place to belong. It's just amazing. I have so much and so the secret to really beginning to overcome what's at the root of most of our debt is fighting discontentment. And number four, trusting your father who adores you. Trust your father who adores you. Jesus was teaching. He said, you can't worship two gods at once. If you love God, one, one God, you're going to end up hating the other. You can't worship money and God. And he didn't say money was a bad thing. Remember the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. And then Jesus said this, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Look at me for just a moment. Just look at me for a moment. I don't, I don't want to look at you too long because I want you to feel God loves you. You matter so much to him, more than you can even know. He paid a great price so that he could have a relationship with you, and he adores you. He's not happy about the junk in your life, but he loves you. He never quits on you or gives up on you, and he wants that relationship with you. He wants to give you life. He wants to free you from this stuff, this junk in your life, like debt. You have to learn to trust God even when life stinks, even when things are hard. You trust that God's at work, that he loves you, that he's going to go through whatever comes. He's going to go with you, and he's going to help you, and he's going to put people around you to help you. Paul said this, I have learned to be satisfied with what I have. That's an amazing lesson. It didn't happen overnight, but underline that phrase, learn to be satisfied. It's a process that you will learn as you spiritually mature. I think it's a lifelong process that you learn this secret like Paul did. He said, I've learned the secret so that anywhere at any time I am content, whether I am full or hungry, whether I have too much or too little, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. He didn't do it in his own strength, but as he began to walk in life with this relationship with God and he learned to trust God, his contentment grew. 
He learned the secret. It was to trust God, to look to God. And you can't learn contentment without getting into God's Word. Next week in our growth track, we talk about, um, on Saturday night after service, we talk about growing spiritually. We give you some tools for getting into God's Word and praying. You need that infusion of truth from God's Word because the world, the world is telling you the opposite. That you've got to get out there and find ways to satisfy yourself. Pleasure and things and debt are going to make you happy, all the things you can buy. And what's amazing is Paul wrote this letter from a Roman prison. He was put in jail for preaching his faith. And he had a lot of reasons to be discontent. But he knew that he deserved nothing but death and hell. And he had experienced God's grace and love and mercy. And the secret is learning to trust God. You know, I work with someone that I, I respect and trust very much. And I've known, known Judy Allen for 16 years. She's gone through some stuff in her life. And I've seen her grow and mature in her faith. And I see somebody living it out. And she's learned contentment and continuing to learn it. And I asked some friends, you know, hey, what, well, share with me your thoughts on contentment. How do you learn contentment? I want to share with you what she said. I learned to see stuff for what it is, a distraction from who really matters in my life. More stuff, travel, possessions, money will not feed the need for what I truly long for, deeper connections and peace. Trusting and understanding that my Father is all I need, and if I keep focused and on and trust this truth, I won't need to scurry around trying to get more, be more, impress more. I have all that I need and then some. I have to practice not hearing and seeing that somehow I lack and need more. It requires me to live out of sync with the world around me. The peace this brings is priceless. Those are some great words, and I see her living this, her, this out in her life. It's not wrong to want things or do things, but when you think those things are going to satisfy you, that's when you wreck your life with things like debt. The beautiful thing is you have a heavenly Father who adores you. He wants to give you life. Jesus said, I came to give you a life, an abundant life. And he wants to free you from the guilt of your sins and from the weight of your debt. But you don't have to do it in your own power. I want to close with this last thought, this last idea, this last verse. As you begin to follow Christ, Pastor Cal preached a couple weeks ago about learning to obey. Nothing great happens in your life without obedience. As you begin to obey God and follow Him, He will bless you for your obedience. And you begin to surrender your life to Him and allow Him to lead you. The Bible says His Spirit fills you up. His Holy Spirit. You don't become a puppet, but He, he will guide you. He'll prompt you. He'll direct you. And look what, the, look what the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will produce in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You can circle that one. We're talking about finding peace. Patience. That's another good one. Because how do we get into debt? We're not patient. We don't want to wait for something. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And circle that last one, self-control. I mean, how many times have you bought something and got home and go, oh, why did I buy that? I didn't really need that. I could have done I could have waited until I had the money for that. Self-control. God will work in you to help you. He'll help to free you from that debt as you pursue Him. He'll bring peace to your life. He'll give you some guidance, direction help, encouragement, and that inner motivation that we all need. Well, let's pray together. As you bow your head, I don't know where this message hits you, but, you know, at the end of a talk, I like, personally, I like to reflect and pray about whatever God says to me. So I just want to give you a moment to think, where are you at? Maybe some of you here, you're just so discontent with life right now. 
and you don't know Christ. And I just have to honestly and lovingly say you'll never be really content until you invite him into your life, until you understand who he is. There's no, there's no road to contentment and peace that doesn't go through Jesus. And you can pray and talk to God about that. Some of you here, you're, you love Jesus, you love God, he's alive in your life, but you're struggling with debt, you're struggling with discontentment, and you're so discouraged. And maybe you've made some bad choices, some bad decisions, and just talk to God about that. Ask him to help you to learn contentment, to be happy with what you have, to, to get a plan, to give you the will, the self-control, to follow your plan. And God will hear your prayers right where you're at, and as you surrender it to him, he'll help you. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you. God, I pray you'd help them to experience your love, your grace, your truth, your mercy, your kindness, and help them to have the courage to step out in faith and receive Jesus into their life. And God, for those of us who are struggling with debt, I pray that you would give them hope, you would give them encouragement, you give them a clear path, a clear plan. Give them the will to fight through it, God, and to take the, the steps they need to take to stop the bleeding and, and to work off that debt. And God, for those of us who are discontented with circumstances in our life, would you teach us to trust you and that you're with us and you're at work, even when we can't see it. And God, I pray that as we, we trust you, that you will fill us with such peace and power and love, that we will live such generous lives, that your love and grace will flow out of us and touch and change those around us. God, use us. We put this in your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.